Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Welcome to the really big show. We're in our usual motley assortment of malcontents, curmudgeons, and pundits from the HHW LOD Network. Talk pop culture, movies, TV, video games, and ever so much more. It's the really big show, or as we refer to it, really BS. And now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the really big show. That's right, really BS. This is Russ. And I have with me Jordan and Jim. Episode number two. That's right, the number juice. two. Number two, get it? BS number two. Okay. Now that we've appealed to our Beavis and or Butthead demographic, <laughs> with a poop joke, we have yes. a lot of BS to get through. It's the summertime and there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we don't even have time for any of this introductory ramble that we normally have because we have so much to talk about tonight. Isn't that right? Let's start with movies. So let, why don't we talk a little, I guess we'll kick it off with Pacific Rim so we can get that out of the way and then Jordan can feel like he can uh, join in for the rest of the discussion <laughs> that we have. Oh, I, I will have comments about Pacific Rim despite not having seen it. I'm, I'm part of the internet. It's my right. Exactly. So Jim, what did you think? I loved it. After emo Superman and PTSD Iron Man, it was refreshing to go to a movie that, would just, that was just fun. You know what I mean? It didn't take itself too seriously. I mean, my God, everybody in the damn cast had a name out of a Jack Kirby and Stan Lee comic from the 60s. I mean, Stacker Pentecost? Who the hell names their kid that? I'm sorry. Anyway. Well, Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Pentecost. Do. Right. I guess so. I guess Idris Elba's mom and dad did in this movie. I, I just thought it was great. I thought the effects were incredible. The spectacle was wonderful. The action was just really well done, well implemented. I was so worried it was going to look like Ultraman or something out of the 70s. Robot but jocks. Yeah, so robot jocks, you know, something not not that great. But no, it, it looked it looked incredible. Um, the storyline was, was, you know, it was there and it was good. And it was just a lot of fun. I mean, I just really... Had a lot of fun at this movie and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't deep with overtones and subtext and angst. It just was really a, you know, big, bold, fun, summer popcorn type movie. And that's just what I was looking for. And that's just what they gave me. So I would, could not be more pleased. And do you? Pretty much the same on, on every level. It, I, I really, really enjoyed it. This is one of those. And, and John saw it, I think, before either of the two of us saw it. And, he advised, he recommended that we see it on IMAX 3D if possible, or at least 3D as possible. And he's, we've kind of been in the same camp with 3D. I think, I think all of us are pretty much in that camp that we're not super high on 3D, but I could, I could say definitely that is the way to see that movie on, with IMAX 3D because the 3D was very additive. The, the 3D effect was fantastic. This is probably the best post conversion 3D movie that I've ever seen. I mean, it, it was just really, really well done. Um, and, and just seeing it on that huge screen, I, I, it, it just, you know, you could come, you could say what you want about the story and about some of the dialogue and, you know, it was a bit cheesy or whatnot, but they, they got the one thing they needed to get right. And that's big, huge monsters fighting big, huge robots. I mean, that part of it was just completely spot on. And it, it's, it's just, I, I will say at this point, 
now we we still have a few movies left to go in the summer, but to me, this was the funnest movie I've seen all summer. This is a movie when I walked out of the theater, I was like, I've not had that much fun so far this summer in a movie. Um, and it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy Iron Man and I didn't enjoy, um, you know, Man of Steel because I definitely did, and those were those were you know really good in their own right. But this was just so much fun. I mean, it, it, it just and, and that's what I really look for anymore when I go to the movies is. Um, you know, just did I did I have fun and enjoy? If it's that kind of movie, I mean, obviously, if you're going to see some thought provoking drama, but normally I save those for home anyway. Um, I just like to be entertained and be able to you know shut my brain off a little bit and have some fun. This movie begs to be seen on at least IMAX, if not IMAX 3D. The 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 the, the spectacle of the the fighting and the action just it deserves to be seen on the biggest screen you possibly can see it on. So that's what I recommend. Personally, I saw it on IMAX 3D. Uh, like not opening night, but the night after. And it was just, it, it's an incredible movie. And it's the kind of movie that really needs to be seen on the big screen to be really appreciated. Just the, the size of, of, you know, the scope of, of, uh, of the, the robots and the monsters and the, the scale of everything. It just really added so much to see it on the big screen like that. I mean, no matter, I mean, and I'm sure if you have a really nice home system and, and surround sound, it's going to be great on Blu-ray too. But, you know, just the, the, for the, you know, the sheer size of the spectacle there, I just really fit the IMAX, um, uh, uh, well. I thought Idris Elba was always good. I mean, he, he, you know, is, he's there to be, uh, you know, the, the, the hard ass at the head of the team. You know, we had the young hotshot. I saw a lot of parallels there in this, in the plot to like Top Gun, you know, uh, and, and little nods to other movies as, as, as it was going on. Um, like I said, all the names were, were just great, you know, Hercules, Hangem, and, uh, Jeez, I can't even remember all of them. Mako Mori, you know, which is like you know, Killer Shark. Um, it, it just really uh, was was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I I hope the rumors of a Pacific Rim too, even though it kind of underperformed performed in the box office, are, are true because I would love to see more of it. I just, but like like I was saying before, you know, Man of Steel was a good movie, but it was very serious in tone. You know, it had a lot of really yeah. heavy moments and stuff. Iron Man three was a great movie, you know, too. But it, again, it had a lot of subtext, had a lot of subplots going on, a lot of you know things weighing down on the character. You know, after what happened with Avengers and the whole PTSD thing, and those were good movies, like you said, Russ. But I did not have the just kind of glee that I had watching Pacific Rim that I had when I watched those because I, I just realized I was on a fun ride and I was just going along for the ride. And like I said, the cast is great. You know, Charlie Hunnam from uh, from Sons of Anarchy is is really serviceable as the main guy, and um, uh, you know uh, Charlie Day as the as, and uh, Burn Gorman as the scientists. Uh, I just thought they were hilarious, and, and just to, you know that they would cast Charlie Day as a scientist to begin with. Uh, kind yeah. of blew my mind because I mean, if you've ever Burn seen Gorman, his... he kind of got on my nerves a little but bit. But like, I, I think, think that was the whole a... point of him, you know, that he was supposed yeah. to be on your nerves and then kind of be enduring by the end. Um, the the guy who was their dispatcher, who and, I, and it's killing me, I can't remember the name of the actor, but he kind of looks like a young uh, Lance Henriksen with sideburns. Uh, their their dispatcher. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, control yeah. room. I, and I, I, it's killing. I, I'll look it up on IMDb, I guess. But um, I just I just thought the, the they had a lot of really interesting actors in there, a lot of interesting character actors thrown around. And of course, Ron Perlman, one of my favorite actors. Um, you know, is Hannibal Chow. And also, um, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, make sure you stay till the end uh, after the credits uh, for a little extra Perlman, uh, if you will. But um, I just I just really enjoyed. it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Also, um, I, I don't know if I think we mentioned this on the Long Box of Doom. Uh, but the tales from the, from year zero, the Pacific Rim graphic novel 
was also really good. Uh, it's also written by Travis Beecham, who wrote the screenplay for Pacific Rim with Guillermo del Toro. Uh, has uh, five different artists. They're, they're all pretty good. Mark McKenna is one of them. Um, I really recommend it. It's by Legendary Comics, and it's available digitally or, or your local store. What, one of the, a few of the things I appreciated from the effects standpoint and, and the design standpoint is one of the things that kind of bugged me with Transformers was the over complication of the robots, like way too many moving parts to where they almost didn't look like robots or didn't look too far removed from the traditional um, renderings that we know of the Transformers from the cartoon, from the comics, from the toys. Um, they they got this right. There was just enough moving parts, in my opinion, to make it look and feel just right. And they did some really cool things, you know, like where we saw like that rocket punch and when it needed to kind of reinforce itself. We almost kind of got like that Iron Man 3 effect with some of the some of the additional armors where, you know, extra servos or, um, you know, things kind of kicked in to either reinforce or to support or to add you know, additional force, you know, back. There was really cool stuff uh, like that that was that was added in. And it, it just, it, everything felt like it was necessary. You know, when you zoomed in on on parts of the robot, everything felt like it, it had its purpose and its place. And it wasn't there just to, to spin or to flip around or to make noise or, you know, whatever. It's like everything, everything looked and felt you know, really solid. Um, Plus, they took a page out of the Alien book. They made everything look very used. You know, all the yes. equipment was scratched up and dinged and dented, and it had. It was obvious. You know, nothing was like super shiny and, and obviously CG. Again, like the Transformers. It's one of the things that really turned me off of those live action Transformers movies. Just the way that was one of the things that turned me off of the Michael Bay Transformers is the way the Transformers look. Like you said, Russ, it just looked like a giant pile of junk all magnetically put together, you know, um, like someone had put a, a magnet through a box of magnetic Legos or something. But these yeah. these robots really had a cool design aesthetic. It was almost like going back to the Shogun Warriors from the 70s yes. or Giant Robot yes. or Johnny Sacco and his flying robot or Gigantor or like the, you know, the classic, uh, you know, mecha design. And I really appreciate that a lot and seeing the different versions, like the, the Russian version. I mean, first of all, the Russians were hilarious with like the, the bleed, you know, look, looking as Russian-y as they did, the bleach blonde yeah. hair and all that. And then their mech was like one of the first mechs made. So it is, it looked even cruder than the other mechs. It had like way more wires, you know, and fewer, fewer, um, you know, tech parts and stuff. It was really cool how much thought they put into the production design, the way they made the world look. Uh, again, you know, I really liked that. I mean, that was something the very first Star Wars movie did very well, too, is it, it was a, 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 a fantastic science fiction world, but it looked used. It looked like people lived right. in that world. It didn't look like, oh, we just made this set to make this movie. It looked like, you know, people people lived in Moss Eisley, you know? I mean, it, you could tell it didn't smell very good there, probably. You know what I mean? Um but Alien was the same way, the original Alien, all the equipment, you know, very you know, futuristic space equipment, but obviously used and worn. And they, they paid that attention to do that in this. Um, it just was really, I, I, I had a lot of fun, like you said, Russ, and I recommend that, you know, anybody see it on the biggest screen they can and go do so. And just go see it, you know. I mean, yeah, no even doubt. if Support you don't it. know, if it comes down to, well, there's not an IMAX in my area or a big screen, so I'll wait, go, go see it. Because, I mean, I just... It, the the one thing that's a shame of this, and I really, really thought this was going to be the surprise hit of the summer. 
I, I really thought that it would do better. And it's done okay, um, but it wasn't a cheap movie to make, and it hasn't blown away the box office either. I mean, it got beat by, uh, you know, two, you know, two family-friendly sequels, one of which, um, I think Despicable Me maybe is a little more deservedly so, but I can't believe Grown Ups 2 beat out, uh, this to, to put it in third place. But it held, it held fairly strong. Um, and I'm really hoping positive word of mouth and, uh, positive reviews will get people to, you know, maybe the second, third week out. Uh, to go see it and maybe it'll have a little bit of legs because it's it's just you know i don't think there are a ton of movies that come out where you tell people you have to see this in the theater you have to see this on the big screen um and and this more so than any movie i can think of in in a while is one of those where it's like you have to see this on on the screen i just um you know like i said it it, it you know is it going to make you know my top 10 movies of all time you know definitely not but it's like you know, like I said, it's just it's just a lot of fun, and I I know I sound like a broken record, but uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen it and have been on the fence or even slightly off the fence, um, you know, check it out. I really think it's going to make a lot of money overseas, though. It's already um, made more foreign than it has domestic. It made for according to Box Office Mojo, domestic total is right around uh, forty five point seven uh, million, and the foreign take is over is uh, fifty three million already. So. That's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to go over well in a lot of different markets. I mean, it's very marketable. It's giant robots fighting giant monsters, for Pete's sake. And I mean, even people like Hideo Kojima and uh, uh, um, um, other other anime artists have seen it. You know, it's almost like a love letter back to Japan. You know what I mean? For that kind yeah. of movie making and stuff, that kind of anime. So I think it's going to do pretty well overseas. And And again, I think it kind of has that, Maybe that Fast and Furious thing going for it. It's got a multinational, multiracial cast, you know, going for it. So it's something that appeals, um, you know, outside of of the states. I mean, and and you know, so hopefully it has it definitely has that working for it. So yeah, hopefully we'll see some more of this. Do you have anything to add, Jordan, or did we did we talk you completely out? Well, aside from the fact that I really want Lego magnets now, uh, you know, it's just. Pacific Rim is one of those things that doesn't speak to me in the same way it does to you guys. I'm not from the same generation, and while I'm certainly familiar with Godzilla movies and I've seen a number of them, uh, the Togo Kaiju movies just don't hold any nostalgia for me. So to see something that's uh, not not a send-up in the traditional sense, but that's a uh, an homage to those has no interest to me, and just a pure you know, quote unquote, fun action movie also holds no interest to me. I'll go see a Transformers movie because I have some affinity for the Transformers characters and I won't regret, you know, the, the time spent in the theater. And I'm sure I wouldn't regret the time and money spent uh, or the time spent in the theater, at least for Pacific Rim. But I also don't feel like spending $12 to see, you know, robots punch aliens for an hour and a half. That's just not something that totally interests me. And Jim, what you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, this is just fun. You don't have to deal with any of the PTSD of Iron Man 3 or the, you know, the moroseness of uh, Man of Steel or something. To me, that's what makes those movies more interesting to me, what makes them something I'd rather see than pure fun. If I want pure fun, I'll, you know, spin around for an hour or something and, uh, and reduce the blood count in my head so I get lightheaded, you know? I'm just saying not every movie has to be that, you know what I mean? No, 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 and I totally agree, and it, but it's also, 
it's just, it's not what I'm looking for in a movie. And I totally get that's what you guys are and what a lot of people are looking for for a movie. And to those people, great, go have a lot of fun with it. It's just not something that holds any interest to me whatsoever. Like I said, I'm sure if I caught it on TV, I wouldn't regret watching it for an hour and a half, but I also wouldn't feel like, not just for this movie, it's for pretty much any action movie of that type. Uh, I also wouldn't feel like, oh, I really missed out by not paying my $12. It's just difference of uh, of what I'm looking for in a movie, that's all. I'm glad that a lot of people loved it. I have no problem with people loving it. It's just not for me. Fair enough. Plus, so how I guess often now... do I get to be negative about something on the podcast? I'm always the yeah. positive guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was so the last, that wait a minute, uh... what was the last good movie you saw? I really liked Iron Man 3 quite a bit um man of steel was a net positive barely and star trek into darkness was really really good up until about 15 minutes from the end at which point i thought it fell apart and those are like the three movies i've seen this summer i've seen some really good documentaries lately though (laughs) i'm just a boring person Uh, hey i watch a lot of documentaries too actually Actually, you know, while we're on the topic of movies, I, I can't remember if I mentioned any of these in the last BS episode, so I will just uh, mention them briefly. But Netflix has been adding a ton of good documentaries lately. Uh, Bully, which was the controversial film from, I think, 2011 from the Weinstein Company. You may remember they had to, they fought recutting it to get the lower rating because there's some language in it that, you know, makes a very important point in the movie and they didn't want to cut it and lose that impact. It's excellent. It's on there. There's a documentary called Hot Coffee um, that was really good. You guys actually, th- this is an interesting test. Jim and Russ, if I mention uh, the words coffee, lawsuit, and McDonald's, you guys have a pretty clear image in your head, right? Yeah, well, when you yeah. originally said hot coffee, um, you, I was thinking of the GTA. GTA San Andreas. Yeah, That's what I San Andreas of, uh, <laughs> thing that they got uh, sued for um, big time. Well, Jim or Russ, in that famous lawsuit, uh, who, who sued? Just in the most basic of terms. Wasn't it the woman that had the coffee spilled on herself? Okay, so woman spills coffee on herself. Where was she when coffee was spilled? Didn't she had hadn't she just either just pulled away from the drive-through or was on the street away from like? It, it didn't happen like right then and there. But you're you're saying in a car. That's my understanding. While while driving, and she spilled coffee on herself. That's my understanding. And and you are absolutely correct in terms of that is what the almost everyone's understanding of that case is. It's also not factually correct. Uh, she was in a vehicle. It was parked. She was not driving. Uh, there there are. In other words, there is a lot more to this case than people realize, and it's an easy whipping boy for, you know, uh, people milking the system and frivolous lawsuits, but it's actually a very interesting case, and and the documentary Hot Coffee doesn't only focus on that case, it focuses on several, um, and it focuses on tort reform and the politics behind that, and I know that sounds incredibly boring to people, but it's actually a very, very interesting documentary that will probably change the way you look at that case and other cases similar to it. Um, if only for a, a, sim- a single photo they show alone might change your mind, but also just hearing the actual facts behind it. Um, so Bully and Hot Coffee are two documentaries recently put on Netflix that I would highly recommend. Very, very good. I'd recommend Place at the Table, just about um, food in general in the world. 
and you know it'll kind of change your perspective as uh, to how we get food and how you eat food and all that good stuff. I use my mouth. Well, that's something I think about a lot being a chef. So uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I, and I think we ought, really ought to make a documentary about the hot coffee thing from the from San Andreas. <laughs> so I think that'd be really interesting. You know, I always I've always been interested in um, uh, the GTA guys. Um, I mean, they're so secretive compared to, uh, to a lot of other developers, the Hauser brothers, who are basically the minds yeah. behind the main GTA. I mean, we just got that GTA Five trailer this week, and I can't believe how incredible that game looks for being you know running on a 360, running on a PS3. Um, it just looks insanely huge and incredible and full of things to do. That trailer, I guess we're transitioning to talking about that, though. Um, I thought it was a little weird. Like, I thought it was a good trailer, but it also felt like a video you might watch at a uh, some corporate event where it's them explaining new policies to you in a video. And I kind of mean that in a bad way, and I kind of don't. Like, it was a beautiful trailer. It was just an odd tone. It kind of reminded me of, like, a, a video travel brochure. Like, come visit, yeah, visit yeah, beautiful, kind of <laughs> visit, visit, visit beautiful Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> you know, um, it just seemed like I understand what you mean. Though that voiceover is kind of off-putting. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily saying it's a bad trailer because I don't think it was. It was just off-putting, but at the same time, that also makes it stand out. It's not like any like it's literally unlike any video game trailer I've seen before. Um, and so that at least makes it stand out. But I also don't know that Grand Theft Auto really needs to stand out in its trailer because it's already a Grand Theft Auto trailer. I just can't believe what they're doing with that engine, how, how good that looks. You know, especially you know, now they're splitting it between three characters. Um, they're, uh, they're massively overhauled their multiplayer as evidenced at the end of the trailer where you see all the different yeah. uh, multiplayer people in the same city there were what 16 24 there were an enormous amount of uh, players i mean it's amazing how much they're getting out of our current gen systems you know and they and they have yet to announce a version of this for next gen it's only a current gen game so far so i'm sure it'll be announced but uh, i was happy to see that a lot of stuff seems to be have been brought over from red dead redemption a game i love quite a bit um, with the hunting and the animals thrown in. I mean, this is the first GTA with animals, not counting the uh, the pigeons or whatever they were in GTA 4. You know, this is the first one with wildlife out there, and that's really, really cool. Oh, come on, there was Sasquatch in San Andreas. Well, that's almost He's wildlife-ish. You know. <laughs> but yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm also um, you know, uh, encouraged that they're using the targeting system from Red Dead as well. Um, they've had some trouble sometime with, I remember like GTA 4 having some trouble with the gunplay and like scenarios with a lot of enemies, but, uh, they seem to really, you know, refined it with Red Dead. So I'm, you know, they it looks like they're using that, um, you know, that, uh, um, interface for, you know, the, the, the targeting and whatnot for third person shooting. So I'm happy to see that. Yeah. The, the shooting in GTA has always been something with plenty of room for improvement. Although they have been getting significantly better over the years. And I think Red Dead really had, like, gunplay that felt right. I mean, you know, it just had that good timing and the, the, the guns had different effects and different feels. And I just thought it was something they could really incorporate into this. And I think they, it looks like they are. 
Although I don't think they can really incorporate something like Deadeye, the Deadeye system from Red Dead, into GTA. I don't know that it would fit. I mean, I guess you could put a different filter on it and make it a little bit more bullet timey and uh, matrixy instead of the the kind of classical Western feel. But it would be difficult. And that, that was, I think, is my favorite thing about the gunplay in Red Dead. But it, it's not. It's by no means the only thing they did right. I thought the rest of the gunplay was also much more solid than anything um, a Rockstar game had done previously. Yeah, I'm, I'm very. I'm very excited. I'm very uh, intrigued. Did we lose Ross? Agreed. Or? No, I'm oh, here. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. I, I wasn't a huge fan of GTA Four. Just the story and everything didn't really settle with me. Um, Nico, brother, come bowl with me. Yeah. Some of the missions, I I don't know the the way the missions were structured. There were a few of them that were really tough that made it, made it really hard to move forward without, you know, getting past them. So I, I don't know. I just, um, it just, it just felt like more of the same. And I hope they do stuff in five to kind of, maybe not reinvent the series, but just maybe reinvigorate the series so it just doesn't feel like another entry in the same thing that we've been seeing pretty much since GTA 3, so. I'll be curious. Only time will tell. And I like the, yeah. the choice of the three different characters. You got the one guy who's kind of like the retired Tony Soprano. You got the other guy who's kind of like CJ from San Andreas. And then you've got the one guy who's just totally messed out and insane and flushing people down the toilet. So I think that that appeals to me, being able to switch between the three of them on the fly. I thought that looked cool. Yeah. Well, back to, I guess, back to movies for a bit. Comic-Con is upon us, and I think by the time this posts, I think a lot of that news will be will be out there, and I think that'll give us plenty to talk about on, on the next BS show. But um, we have the Wolverine coming up soon, which... If you listen to our Real Heroes podcast, you will definitely hear us talk about that the weekend after release. Um, as we record this, it's July 17th, and The Wolverine comes out July 26th. Uh, so far, I'm hearing a lot of good things about it. Um, you know, this was one that I was very leery about. Um, I, I think conceptually, everybody assumed this was going to be a good idea. Um, after the first movie, there were a lot of people that were concerned it would just be another misstep um but it looks like this is a pretty big tonal shift with the wolverine as opposed to x-men's origin wolverine um and and like i said so far the trailers have been really solid i i just i like the direction they're going with this um you know kind of the despondent at some point in the future wolverine who's kind of lost his way you know, very much the, you know, like, like the, the, the Shogun or the, the, you know, the, the masterless, you know, the, the, the Ronin, the, you know, kind of masterless samurai at this point and, and bringing them in. I think this is going to be a fairly big departure from the Miller Claremont miniseries as far as the story itself, but I think they may do a good job of capturing the tone and the feel. Um, and just some of the, you know, the ninja fight stuff that they brought in looks like it's going to be really, really cool. If not, that also be fun to watch. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, and you know, as, as it gets closer, we're kind of seeing more about it. And I'm, I've kind of backed away from some of that as, as I've started to do as I've gotten older. Uh, I, I know I've talked about this before, but when movies get close to that point and they start showing more and more and more, I tend to back away 
more and more. I, I think early on, I'm I'm like a sponge for trying to gather as much information when these things are a year, two years, um, you know, even nine months out. But when we get to that point where we're like within 60, 90, um, 120 days, I tend to pull away just because I, I want to go to the movie and, and not feel like I know what's coming at every turn because I've seen it or read it or heard about it. Um, and so, so like I said, I've kind of pulled away and I'm not watching like all the TV spots and all the trailers. Um, and I, I read reviews if they're non-spoilery and I tend to just skip around and just, I'm curious with some of these sites that have, you know, and folks that review and have seen it, like in general, what's their impression? Did they get a positive impression or a negative impression or a so-so impression? Um, and so far what I've read, it's been fairly positive. Uh, and I, and I hope that holds true because I, I really, I really would like this to do well, and I really like this to be a solid a solid entry in the series. Well, uh, Rotten Tomatoes right now, with only five reviews, has it at eighty percent fresh. So good it's start. interesting, though. James Mangold is a pretty good director. I mean, Walk the Line was a really good movie. Uh, Three Ten to Yuma. I don't know if you guys checked that out with Guy Pearce. That was oh, yeah. a pretty pretty good flick. Um, he's done action before with Night and Day, which was eh, not that great. But um, I, I'm interested to see what he does with uh, with Hugh Jackman and the Wolverine. I mean, I I, I was I, as we talked about, you know, when we did that uh, episode of Real Heroes, I was kind of disappointed with the last Wolverine movie. I kind of like I like the I know it's not going to be the storyline from the original uh, Claremont Miller you know miniseries or whatever, but it seems like it has kind of that flavor and it has some of the same characters and same uh, situations. So uh, that'll be cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it, and uh, I hope it, uh, I don't know, like I said, I, I was kind of disappointed by the last one, so I, I guess uh, they don't have a really high bar to jump over to <laughs> to sell me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm super excited for this movie, I'm definitely going to see it, and I guess it's good in that my, my expectations are low, like you guys are saying, but I was a little weary or leery of the first trailer or two especially some of the stuff like him fighting on top of the train just looked bad effects wise and that was certainly a a major problem in the first wolverine movie um with some you know not that all the effects were bad but the ones that were really stunk and now that i've seen a few clips i mean i'm kind of in your boat but not all the way russ in terms of staying away from stuff you know once you get closer to the movie it really depends for a movie i'm less interested in like wolverine or the, the Wolverine, I'm more interested, I'm more apt to check stuff out, whereas something like, you know, The Amazing Spider-Man or something, is something I'm really looking forward to, that is something I don't want to get spoiled on. Um, but one of the clips I did see for The Wolverine was the quote-unquote fool or extended train fight sequence, and seeing it in context, it actually looks a lot better than it did in that clip. So the little things I have seen do make me more interested in the movie and, and make me have a slightly higher expectations. Um, it, it certainly so far looks better than the first one, but again, like with everything else, only time will tell, but Hello. with this one, it's just not a lot of time, which is nice. And it looks like to kind of springboard off that, um, Brian Singer, if you either been following his Twitter feed or just watching some of the comic news sites uh, related to that, he's been tweeting out, pretty much continuously since they started filming on X-Men Days of Future Past. And most recently, he's tweeted out a mailbox with the name Maximoff on it, which we know there's going to be a Quicksilver character in this, funny enough, in Avengers 2 as well. But he's also tweeted out a a picture of Lucas Till, who played Havoc, uh, Alex Summers in the the first X-Men First Class. 
and who wasn't, you know, we weren't sure if he was coming back or not, but it looks like he definitely is. And he's in military fatigue, so it looks like he's either been drafted or enlisted in the Army and either off to Vietnam or um, in Vietnam. So that's going to come play into it. Uh, there's been more details that have leaked out of that movie, so it, we, it looks like we've got, I think at this point it's kind of an unofficial synopsis, but it has something to do to the effect that that somehow Kitty Pride, similar to the to the comic story, and I don't know if any of this is true or not true, but that Kitty Pride somehow takes Wolverine and sends him to the past, either his consciousness or his body. And I'm thinking it's his consciousness because that's kind of how the the comic went with the old Kate Pride to the to the young one. Basically, has him warn the the first class crew as to something they have to stop to prevent the future from coming true. And at this point, we're not really sure exactly what that what that is. Um, or if that's even completely bogus. And then at some point, something happens to Kitty Pride, and that the future X-Men or the current timeline X-Men have to find a character that can uh, absorb her power to basically bring Wolverine back uh, to the to the present. So it looks like uh, Kitty Pride, that Ellen Page's character, she's she's coming back as as Kitty Pride, and uh, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine are going to play a bigger part. In this movie than I thought, uh, which leads me to believe then, and kind of like I thought, like that Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and you know some of you know Halle Berry, some of the other ones may just be relegated to a little more than cameos, maybe. But it, 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 this is a movie I think the more I hear about it, the more intrigued I am and the more interested I am in in what they're doing. And I really, again, have high hopes for this because I think Singer's done the X Men verse very well and i think this is maybe his opportunity to make up for the fact that he left the franchise after x2 to go do superman returns uh, which in retrospect seems like a bad you know a bad idea all the way around uh so hopefully he's able to to kind of make up for that didn't we also find out this week that they're looking at doing an x-force movie as well yeah that was going to be my next uh topic and apparently it's going to have deadpool and cable that's that's the the word at this point well, I mean, I think that's the rumor. I don't know if it's really the word. It doesn't seem like anybody really had a good idea of which version of X-Force this would be, some amalgamation. Uh, you know, you'd figure that the newer version is more marketable, but there's no way they're going to get... Well, I'm, I say there's no way. There's. It's unlikely they'll get Hugh Jackman to do yet another set of movies as Wolverine. Seems like his plate is already pretty full with the ones he has. Um, I'd certainly love to see a version with Cable and Deadpool if done well. Uh, I, I like both those characters quite a bit. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things that's so early. I don't really want to put in too much advanced judgment. I think it's really going to depend on. Well, a it tells me it tells me a couple things. One, it seems like Fox is really trying to invent their own, you know, cycle of of Marvel movies with what they have. I mean, they have license for Fantastic Four. They've got license for the X-Men characters. They allowed the Daredevil license to lapse. Uh, so I think they're really just trying to hang on to what they can and really push forward with it. And I think it really depends on how well Days of Future Past goes as to how well or how, you know, this, this X-Force thing is green is greenlit or not. I mean, at this point, I think all we know for sure is they've hired a writer to draft a script for this movie. And I think Miller, Mark Miller, who's kind of the the Joss Whedon equivalent at Fox for the for the Marvel pictures uh, has has come out and said that as well. We may hear something at Comic Con to kind of to kind of back that up a little bit, um, but I, I think it's just interesting how Fox is trying to 
to build their their franchise up um, with with what they have um, and are going kind of full steam ahead. So hopefully the Wolverine does well. Hopefully Days of Future Past does well, uh, and and we could see it see it continue on. Um, although it you know the only negative with that is if Fox continues that train, then it, we're less likely to ever see any of those characters folded into you know the common you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we call it uh, that that Marvel and Disney own, you know, full rights to, uh, for cinematic purposes. It is interesting too. I mean, and there's also the, the danger of oversaturating with Marvel product. You know what I mean? I know Disney and Marvel don't, yep. don't want to do that, but you know, if they're, you know, we get those, their, their slate of movies, you know, phase two, phase three or whatever. And then we get an onslaught of, Fox Marvel product too. I mean, it could be you know overload, and eventually you know, the bubble will burst. I guess. Well, you know, if you think about it, back what in the fifties, you know, westerns were the thing. Um, you know, musicals were a thing for a while. Buddy, you know, cop movies were a thing for a while. Um, I, I think super. I think superhero movies are are going to be a thing for quite a while because. Um, it seems like when they make the right formula, you know, things seem to fire on all cylinders. But, you know, I think like anything else, at some point, th- that train's going to come to a halt. Uh, and I just I just hope it just doesn't bury everything for quite some time. I mean, you know, look at Westerns. Every time they try and bring back the Western, it pretty much fails mi- miserably. Um, most recently, I think, with the Lone Ranger. But, uh, you know, there's a couple of hits. Sometimes they're more critically acclaimed than they are you know, financially successful. Um, and I, I just really hope that they don't burn out the superhero franchise and, you know, five, ten years from now, we see the last of them for, you know, decades to come. There do seem to be a lot of superhero movies these days. Speaking of which, Jim, you brought up some Marvel, you know, movie-verse-related news earlier that we, we kind of talked about off offline before the show. Um, the rumor, There's a rumor online that um, they're looking at uh, Jiggles, as Aaron Newworth calls him, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, to play uh, Doctor Strange in Phase 3 of the Marvel Universe. I don't know. I think... It, I, I don't know if I see him in the role. I see... I mean, I always uh, would campaign for Aiden Gillen from uh, Game of Thrones, who plays Littlefinger. I think he would be a good Doctor Strange. Um, if Johnny Depp didn't make, like, 20 movies a year, I think he would be a good Doctor Strange. Uh, but he does. <laughs> But I don't know if I see uh, just Gordon Levitt as as him. But I mean, I don't know. He's a good actor. I mean, I'm sure his take of the character would be interesting. The only positive I say with Joseph Gordon Levitt, as opposed to Aiden Gillen, I think Gillen could have the look. Um, I I know Patrick Dempsey's name has been thrown out there a lot. I think that might be a good fit too. The only thing I think maybe Marvel is looking ahead with who they cast in that role is to not fall into the Robert Downey Jr. Um, pitfall where they're only going to get if, if they want this to be an ongoing franchise and somehow make him a, a bit of a linchpin character maybe somebody that could take over for iron man is kind of the central character in that universe if they cast somebody a little younger they they may have a little more staying power with that you know somebody playing that role over time robert downey jr is approaching 50 and they do have him locked up for avengers 2 and avengers 3 um, but i doubt we're going to see him beyond that um, and maybe even Iron Man in Avengers 3, he may not even be, you know, a full-blown cast member. And, you know, part of it is nobody wants to see 
55, 60 year old, you know, dude playing Iron Man that, you know, is, is supposed to be this action oriented character. And they, I don't think anybody wants to see it relegated to him, you know, basically behind a computer remote controlling a suit full time. That, that, you know, probably isn't very much fun either. So the only thing I can think of is, like I said, with Joseph Gordon Levitt is that, they're maybe trying to skew younger to give them more time to develop that, you know, character and not have him, you know, fade out just because he's getting, you know, too old to play the role. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt a lot. I don't really have a strong feel on Doctor Strange as a character. I've read him in plenty of books, but never any solo stuff. And I don't know that Joseph Gordon-Levitt really meets that character that I have in my brain as as light as it is. That said, I like him a lot in a lot of different roles, and he's a versatile actor. He's a, like you're saying, he's young, he's marketable, uh, he hits a wide demographic. Um, I don't see him making, like, being a bad Doctor Strange. I just don't know if it's what the few Doctor Strange fans there are want from the character. And when I say few, I don't mean it as a pejorative. I just mean it as, hey, you guys love the character, but there are not that many of you out there, not enough to sustain like a solo title or something. So does Marvel really care? And again, not really as a negative, it's, you know, their job is to sell the character, not to appeal to, you know, the 12,000 or so really big Doctor Strange fans. Do they really care if he doesn't totally fit that version that those 12,000 people have in their heads if they can make a good character out of it? And should they? I don't know if they necessarily should. No, they shouldn't because there's no way that, I mean, like you said, the, the, there aren't enough Doctor Strange fans out there to sustain a big budget Marvel movie universe film, you know. Same with Ant-Man. Ant-Man's a good example. I mean, there aren't, I mean, you, you accepted, Jordan. Uh, there really aren't a lot. Well, I like one version of right. Ant-Man and it's not even the one they're making the movie about. Right. But, um, there aren't enough Ant-Man fans out there to sustain that, so naturally they're gonna go with a different tactic. They're gonna make it more of like an action comedy, or so it seems. I mean, they got Edgar Wright to do that, so I assume that's where they're going with that. You know, by giving it a different tone or whatnot. Um, I, but, you know, you make, you make a good point about the younger actors, you know, growing into the franchise or whatever. And then ten years from now, I mean, I guess Doctor Strange could be a linchpin character, but I don't understand where I don't know. I just, it, I, I guess I'm just not Kevin Feige. It's definitely an interesting choice in, in general. Um, you know, kind of bold, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy, I think to some degree, because he's not, and I, I guess Iron Man was part of a gamble, but I think Iron Man had the Robert Downey Jr. thing well in its favor. Kind of right time, right circumstance. I don't know how Doctor Strange will come off in that universe, you know, and if, like I say, it's kind of speculation on my part for, with no, you know, real evidence at all, um, that they might try and make him a bit of a linchpin character. But I just wonder how him being so magic centric, if that really is going to play, um, you know, and it, and it could be that, you know, that's, that's the point of it. If, if Dr. Strange is a movie doesn't take, then that may answer its own question. But, um, if they can make Thor work, they can make him work. Yeah, but... You know, make him a human who has, for whatever reason, access to Asgardian and other realms artifacts, who figures out how to use them, a little bit less mystical, a little bit more um, 
Indiana Jones and scientific and a little bit more he's discovering the stuff and figuring out how to use it. Maybe that could work. And hey, yeah, we, we already yeah. had a pretty much perfect Doctor Strange movie in the 70s with Peter Wooten and, Jess- and um, <laughs> Jessica Walters. I mean, how can you improve on that, really? I don't know. You should definitely check it out on YouTube if you don't well, know what I'm talking about, listen- listeners. Will they give, will they give Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, afro? And a porn star stash? Yeah. He's one of those actors who would be willing to do it if they told him to. <laughs> I, I don't think that they would, but uh, he's pretty much game for anything, from what I can tell, if the script is good enough. The, the other thing, not to belabor this too much, but with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I don't see him as the arrogant side of Strange. For those that don't know his origin, I mean, that he started as this extremely arrogant doctor who was injured in a bad car accident, lost the use of his hands, and then went on this you know journey or whatever and... and became the um to be the sorcerer supreme of earth and even even after the you know he kind of learned his humility he still kind of has that aspect to his personality um especially if you've read things like dr strange the oath the 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 recent series that was out he still has that aspect of his personality is there it's just not so obnoxious uh it's more in check and control and i don't know you know based on what i've seen joseph gordon levitt play in the past that he he maybe has quite that that type of personality would fit well with with his talent. Very similar uh, arc to the very first Iron Man movie, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone, yeah. you know, someone a victim of their own hubris, have to kind of reinvent themselves, come back from a you know a setback like that. Um, yeah, very very similar story arc, only with magic. Yeah, it's magic. Dormammu by the Vishanti. By the Ag of, uh, Eye of Agamato. By the Hori the hosts. Eye of Agamato would the be Hori awesome. hosts of Hogoth. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, it would be it would be like probably a terrible, terrible movie if they kept all that Stan, crazy Stan Lee uh, oh, gibberish yeah. in it. But it's it's fun anyway. Movie wise, I, I saw VHS two. Um, How was it? It was much better than the first one. The first one was a horror anthology movie, a found footage type thing with like, I think five different directors. And it was okay. It, it was good. It was a better idea than was executed. And some of the stories were stronger than others. Uh, for VHS 2, you're getting like real, we, uh, only four stories, but one of them is, uh, um, uh, Gareth Evans, the guy who did, uh, uh The Raid. Uh, directed ah. one of the segments, and another segment is directed by uh, Edward Myrink, one of the directors of the original Blair Witch Project. Um, so this it's a lot higher caliber. The stories are much better. There's one great story about a guy who goes out running and has like one of those um, sports cams, you know, on the top of his head, and he uh, ends up a GoPro, f- right? And uh, he he ends up uh, uh, being attacked by zombies and then becoming a zombie. So it's like you're watching zombie cam. <laughs> as he's uh you know, getting hit in the head with a baseball bat trying to eat someone's brains and it's uh it's really uh it's a lot more thoughtful and a lot better uh than the first one i really recommend it. it's on video on demand online uh i think it had a limited release to theaters it's going to be on uh dvd and blu-ray pretty soon and vhs ironically enough but the uh, the gareth evans segment the third segment of the movie uh is really just chilling it's it's one of the it's one of those things that just stays with you long after you watch it. It's just, it's not, it's, it's more, it's more, uh, scary than it is shocking. You know what I mean? It's not the kind of scare where something is jumping out at you, but it's something where the idea just kind of sticks with you after a while and cre- still creeps you out. 
Um, the very last episode is, uh, it's just incredibly well implemented. It's kind of a weird found footage version, um, like a, like of a Spielbergian type movie, uh, but with the aliens not being very friendly. Um, it, it's just really, uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot better than the first one. I, I definitely recommend it if you're a fan of horror films. It's a, it's a big improvement. Going back to the Marvel tick for a second, uh, literally like 15 minutes before we sat down to record, Marvel released, or I guess technically Sony, released the first footage from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, it's all electro. Uh, you only see him for a few seconds. You hear him talk uh, mostly. Um, I think it looked good. It was short. It was very low resolution. It was basically just a teaser for whatever they're going to show at Comic-Con over in San Diego. But... Um, I don't know. It looked cool. He sounded cool, and it felt in keeping with the tone of Electro and of the Spider-Man universe. So there's nothing in it that jumps out to me as, oh my gosh, I can't believe they chose that. Even with him being blue, I'm I'm kind of fine with that. Yeah, they're kind of taking the bold choice. They're kind of going the anti-Marvel route, uh, the Marvel Studios proper with the Spider-Man stuff, where they're not afraid to have people turn into lizards and... People have crazy electric powers and, and be blue. I guess even more so than, than the Raimi Spider-Man, to, to be honest. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think I, I think variety is good. Everything, I don't think everything should be homogenized. I don't think every every take should be the same. Everything should be either, either serious or realistic. I, I think there's room for, you know, maybe not camp, but, but you know, to go a little further than, than the other studios. And it certainly helps to avoid what you guys were talking about before with an oversaturation of superhero movies. If they all do feel the same, then you have a much bigger problem than if this one feels very different from that one, feels very different from this one. And, you know, even with what you're saying with Marvel being a little bit more homogenized, and I definitely agree with you to an extent, you know, they are giving us things like a more fantasy-based movie, it looks like, with Thor 2. Cap 1 was a World War II flick. Cap 2 is a much more 70s-inspired action thriller. Um, you know, they are trying to give us diversity in, in those movies and not just have them all feel like the next episode in something. And I think that's really cool. Oh, totally, totally agree. I, I just they I guess the Marvel proper stuff tends to be a little more grounded, if, that, if that's the right term. If you can you know believe that when it comes to aliens and, um, you know, people that turn into large green monsters and stuff. But like, I don't see you. I don't think you would see an electro per se, in the, you know, Marvel movie universe, you know, somebody that, that is transformed in that manner through some freak accident or, or like the lizard. Probably not, although you do have the Hulk. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, uh, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the way Fox is going to play it, um, play the character and how it's going to, uh, impact on the way Garfield's playing Spider-Man than, uh, than the look of the character. It did not feel off. From from because he is talking the whole trailer, even though you don't see him for most of it, he is talking, and it doesn't feel off. It doesn't feel too goofy. Um, you he he feels like a a real person, and not like like if you've seen the pictures of him pre electro with the world's oddest comb over, it does not feel like that character speaking. It does not feel like uh, you know the world's worst. Um, Big Bang Theory nerd trope voice or anything like that. It feels like a real person. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, Fox can act. I, I loved him in Django, you know, and thing. You know, the things he's done. It just sometimes he tends to, you know, over be a little overzealous. And I thought he might play it a little too, 
you know, too much to the, to the rafters as it were. That's my only concern with the character. I'm also interested to see how Paul Giamatti goes about, uh, playing the rhino. <laughs> yes, and what the rhino looks like. Yeah. Because we have no idea at this point what he I'm looks like. I'm almost thinking his character might be more like the character Hammerhead than the traditional, you know, gray-suited rhino. Uh, could be, although they're definitely putting him in some type of suit. I mean, we've seen pictures from them shooting. He's he's strapped into some kind of apparatus that they're going to green screen in later, and it's big, whatever it is. I mean, this will not be a small rhino from the looks of it, but... Um, as for what it actually looks like and how he plays the character, you know, he's another one of those guys who can really chew the scenery if you let him. And usually, I think, in a good way, like in something like uh, Shoot 'em Up or something. But it, uh, it'll be very interesting to see which Giamatti we get in this film. Not to mention Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborne and all the other rumored villains and rumored characters in the movie. And the whole thing with Shailene Woodley and then her being written out and replaced by characters. Which I think was a smart decision. I just, I feel like, um, I think the character, they, they hired a new actress after they got rid of her, but I think that character is going to end up being Felicia Hardy. Uh, well, no, that person was hired long before she left. Um, I forget what the actress's name is. Felicity, Felicity Jones. Something. Felicity Jones. Um, she, she's been in, in with this movie for months and months and months. It was, and it was only like, what, two weeks ago that Shailene Woodley was cut? And, you know, in addition to complaints from people that she doesn't really look like a Mary Jane um, in any sense of the word or in its term for or for what that character starts to look like, you know, it, it just makes sense. They've already got so many characters in this movie, you, you know, with what we assume is going to happen in the end with Gwen Stacy's character. Do you really want another potential love interest in, in that film to muddy the waters and take... Um, uh, take focus away from that? I, I don't think so. And, I, and saving her for three and four, which they announced, I think is a much, much smarter decision. I agree. And hopefully, whoever they do end up choosing has uh, the same or similar chemistry uh, with uh, Andrew Garfield that Emma Stone did as Gwen Stacy, because that was one of my favorite things about that movie, was that they felt like actual people with actual chemistry, unlike uh, anything in the first three Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Also, Chris Cooper as Norman Osborn, could you have a better casting for that character? Yeah, I'd definitely buy that. Now, if we can just avoid putting him in a Power Rangers villain outfit, um, yeah. we'll be we'll be uh, flying pretty straight there. So, I, I think the word, though, now is that he's not going to actually play Green Goblin, that it's going to be Harry that's the Green Goblin. I'm, and Which I'm pure, cool with that. That's yeah, that's pure speculation at this point, but, um, but that's kind of the, the word... Word on the street as of now, as it were. It would make more sense, I think, if you're using Chris Cooper. You don't need to put yeah. him in the suit or anything. Have him be the behind-the-scenes guy. Have him be the guy orchestrating all the villains and setting up the Sinister Six for the next movie. And, you know, just, you know, the man behind the curtain. He doesn't need to do any goofy action stuff. Leave that for the other characters. I agree. Looks like uh, we're going to get a 3D version of Predator coming out, which I I thought kind of came out of nowhere. They talked about a Predator announcement at Comic-Con, and then I think it was just a couple days ago we saw that. I don't know if you guys saw the the, the press release where you could pre-order a version at Comic-Con that has that actually comes in a Predator head case. Um, and it's, I saw it's, the teaser poster, but nothing beyond that. Yeah, apparently there's they're accepting pre-orders. It it's a little pricey. It's like 120 bucks or something like that, and you can get the movie and like a replica Predator head. And then they're also, I guess, 
I think it's pre-ordering, taking sales for pre-orders of the actual 3D Blu-ray version, which just seems, I, I was really hoping we would get some sort of announcement on some new, you know, new property, either a new movie or, you know, a new comic series or, you know, something. But I wasn't really expecting a 3D rehash of the, the original. Where's Johnny M when you need him? I know. I, I, know. I saw it when you started talking about this. That's who I thought of immediately. Uh, he will probably be there day one. And it looks like we're getting a, which is a surprise to no one, I guess it's September. They're going to release an ultimate collector's edition of the Nolan Batman trilogy, which is going to come in some crazy box set with, a, I guess, a, a hardcover book, like a 48-page 40, book or something like that. Uh, Hot Wheel replicas of the Tumblr, the Bat Pod, and the Bat, uh, which is kind of interesting, and then some other some other goodies and an extra like bonus disc or something like that. Uh, basically, it comes with one of everything. Yeah, I, I th- that's strange because I thought the big news out of Comic Con about Batman was that the um, the rumor anyway is that uh, they're finally going to be releasing the Batman sixty six series on DVD and Blu Ray. Yeah, I'm. I think I, I saw a picture today on Bleeding Cool where somebody had a bag, like from Comic Con, and it didn't have the cartoon images like we're seeing in the Batman '66 uh, digital first series from DC, but it actually had movie, uh, you know, TV show stills on the bag. So they they keep saying that they they think a, there's a, a pretty good chance that we'll get an announcement, which I'm really stoked about. It's funny, I mean, it's on TV all the time, um, but it's never been available on DVD or, or, or Blu-ray or whatever, except for bootleg versions. It's just, I mean, because I mean, Fox produced the show back in the day, but WB owns the rights to Batman, so it's, it's interesting. And it, it's so divisive, too, that show. I mean, the, most Batman fans I know either just embrace and love it or just totally hate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it'll be nice because... I think there's been some really, you know, kid-friendly or young-age-friendly Batman stuff. Batman Brave, the Brave and the Bold, even that show The Batman uh, was pretty, you know, young-age-friendly. I think Batman the Animated Series appealed towards older children. Um, and then, you know, of course, adults. There's, I think it's it's a fan of most, you know, people that were in their late teens, early 20s when that show came out, you know, the, than, than most cartoons. So this will be kind of nice. I, th- I think everybody that ca- has that stuff, you know, now are, you know, have kids of their own or, you know, people that watched it when it originally came on have grandkids of their own now. And, you know, the fact that you could sit a four, five, six-year-old in front of that, you know, that 66 Batman show um, and, and have them enjoy it without, you know, things being too violent or, um, you know, too dark or too heavy. Uh, I think is is really interesting, and I, I I think you know that that kind of what excites me about it more than anything is just to be able to share that with another generation, you know, who may be at this point a little more innocent and not, you you know, not not understand that everything has to be grim and gritty. Uh, that that you could still have fun with stuff. So the, you know, the fact that they're hopefully going to put that out there is is really exciting to me. Well, I can't think of a better transition than to talk about the new Beware the Batman cartoon that we just uh, got uh, premiered to us uh, over the weekend. Did either of you guys see it? I uh, saw a few clips, didn't actually watch the episode. I have not had a chance to, to catch it yet. 
It's pretty interesting. Like, uh, it, it, I don't know if you guys read the, the Batman uh, Earth One graphic novel uh, that came yeah. out. The uh, the take on Alfred in this show is pretty much the take on Alfred in that. He's a bodyguard. He's very much like maybe like a slightly older Jason Statham type. You know what I mean? Like S- XSAS, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. They've kind of uh, appropriated that from that um, story. Uh, they also brought in Katana as like his potential, um, his uh, bodyguard trainee for Bruce Wayne. You know, uh, ostensibly he's Bruce Wayne's bodyguard. Uh, but he ends up helping him as Batman as well. The uh, the episode I saw had Professor Pig and Mr. Toad from the Grant Morrison run um, as the, uh, the villains, and those are villains I don't think we've seen before in the animated series. But this is um, all CGI. Um, it has a very interesting look uh, to it. A very you know very shiny, cybery looking Batman kind of, um, but also very dark and and very. I, I saw influences of Batman the animated series and the uh, the show just called the batman and brave and the bold and the design aesthetic here it's just like a distillation of a lot of things from a lot of different other cartoons and so it's an interesting take i don't know if um it's going to be something that i really you know uh, identify with like i did batman the animated series back in the day but yeah i, I thought it was worth watching again um it, it, it was um well animated it was interesting too they had little nods to the dcu the uh, professor pig kidnaps uh these billionaires who uh and uh, the the guys he kidnaps are Bruce Wayne, uh, Simon Stagg, the guy who created Metamorpho, and uh, and, uh, and Michael Holt, who ends up being Mister Terrific. Um, oh, interesting! It, so it has ties to you know deeper DCU things going on. So that debuted this week. Also, the new Avengers cartoon, which um, I, I wrote about on uh, on the Uniquely Geekly Reader on uh, hswlod.com. I, just, I felt like the last Avengers cartoon, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, really did not need to go anywhere. And uh, you know, the uh, Jeff Loeb and the Men of Action uh, have taken over uh, the writing for the new cartoon. And it just seems like they're trying to approximate that kind of Whedon-esque uh, jokiness. You know, like, I just watched Avengers again the other night and, you know, again, struck by how much humor there is in the dialogue and the script. And it seems like they're kind of trying to approximate that in the cartoon. Um, and, but not, not nearly to the same effect because they aren't Joss Whedon. Um, they've added the Falcon to the, the cast, but they've kind of made him, his character younger than the rest and, and kind of a, uh, a Tony Stark fanboy. And they've explained the Falcon, um, you know, wings and everything as being a, a Stark prototype armor. Um, so different take on, you know, the Sam Wilson character. But I just, I really feel like this is almost like a, a pale imitation of the Avengers vs. Mighty's Heroes cartoon, and I did not like it as much. So, that's after watching the hour-long uh, two-part pilot, so. I like cartoons, what can I say? <laughs> what other TV stuff have you guys been watching? Well, it's TV, kind of, in that... Netflix has a new uh, original series out called Orange is the New Black. Um, it's probably the one of the newest series that's had, or their original series rather, that's had the least amount of fanfare and marketing. Although, I mean, there was some. It's not like they had abandoned it and just left it out there. I had seen trailers for it before it came out. But um, it's fantastic. Uh, it's based, loosely based, on a book written by a woman um, who spent some time in a federal women's prison. Um, and the basic idea is the main character of the show, who is again, loosely based on this 
woman's real experiences. Uh, she is a late 20s, I'll say, yuppie living in, I'm pretty sure it was Brooklyn, uh, that area anyway, who, is, you know, her life is going well. She's in a committed relationship that seems to be heading in the right direction uh, with a soon-to-be fiancé played by Jason Biggs in the show, uh, giving a very not annoying uh, performance, which was nice because I'm, I'm used to seeing him in things I don't like. But, um, you know, the, the relationship's looking well. She's about to start her own business. Everything's coming up roses until uh, her uh, lesbian lover from right after college that time, uh, who she was smuggling money for in a drug ring back during those days. Uh, her uh, her uh, ex-lover, who's played by uh, Donna from That 70s Show, whose name I'm going to, of course, forget right now. Laura Prepon. Laura Prepon, yes, who is uh, really good. Um, she fingers her in the conspiracy and says, hey, she helped out. And uh, so looks like our our protagonist is going to prison for 15 months now because of mandatory minimum sentencing. And so this yuppie with no real grasp on how the world works ends up in a federal women's prison for 15 months. And season one, they've already uh, greenlit season two before this season even premiered. It's that good. Um, focuses on, I'll say, the first half of her sentence somewhere in that area anyway. Um, it's fantastic. Um, great cast of characters. It's almost an entirely female cast. Everyone in it is, you know, top to bottom is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's kind of got a lost feel in that every episode you will get flashbacks for the various cast members to find out not necessarily how they ended up in prison, but just significant events in their life, in their lives that, you know, set them on certain paths that would eventually lead them to prison. And that's how that somehow, um, influence the the way they are reacting to certain things that are happening during their prison terms. Um, like I said, it's very well acted. It's very well written. The showrunner is uh, Chenji Kogan. Kogan, yeah. I, was gonna, <laughs> I knew I was going to mispronounce that one, but the, uh, the woman who's behind the series Weeds, which, quite frankly, I did not love. I, I couldn't even get through the first season um, of Weeds, but I thought she did a great job here. Great acting, great cast, great writing. Um, the music is very good. I know John didn't love the theme song by uh, Regina Spector. I actually found it really catchy. Um, and it's, as, as a season, because I've watched the whole thing, uh, beginning to end, I, I watched it over two days, and I was not planning on doing that. I just kind of fell in love with the show. Extremely well plotted. There are things being set up as far back as episode one that will pay off in the 13th and final episode of the season that you just thought was a plot element for that episode, kind of a self-contained uh, prison mystery of the week, if you will. Not that, not that the show is a procedural like that, but they are forever setting up things in the show that will pay off later that you don't even realize are setups. That's how well it's done. And when things just kind of pop back up several episodes later, it takes you by surprise. And it's, it's kind of a nice feeling in television to not know what's coming next and not know when something is necessarily going to be more important than you thought it was. There's very few shows that can do that, like a Breaking Bad or maybe a Game of Thrones. This is another one. And, and I would say if you have any interest in this kind of show at all, if that description sounds interesting to you, check it out. Even if it doesn't, um, as a bonus, there's nudity, like right off the bat, 30 seconds in, there's nudity, and there's nudity throughout the show. Um, if So if that is something that would bring you in, check it out. I would pretty much recommend this to anyone who doesn't mind a TV show that's rated TVMA. Like, if, if as long as that is not something that holds you back, and there's nothing wrong with that, I know lots of people who that would hold them back, check this thing out. Because it's, you know, to, to boil it down to one sentence, it's women in cages but classy. 
And I don't mean that <laughs> negatively. I mean that as a very positive thing. It's, it is socially aware without being preachy and annoying. It is looking at things like mandatory minimum sentencing and uh, racial discrimination and segregation in prisons and how the... Uh, how the behind the scenes things work and all that kind of stuff, all the politics of prison without being annoying or preachy, but still making you think about it in a cool way. And I know John says he has a lot to say about the show and, and in a positive way. Cause he um, has worked in prisons for, I don't know how long now, but a long time. And I, I can't wait to talk with him about it at some, at some point because I loved it and I'd love to get his perspective on exactly how realistic it is. He seemed to say it was pretty realistic from email. Um, but I really want to know more. I want to have a long conversation with him about that. So hopefully on this feed or another feed at some time in the future, our listeners will be able to hear that conversation. Well, uh, I'll try to catch up with it as well. I've been meaning to watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Uh, but I'll, uh, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, it sounds very interesting. The cast is great. And if you're a Star Trek fan, there is a main character played by a Star Trek alum who it took me several minutes to re, uh, to recognize. That's how different the character they're playing is. And when I realized who it was, I just about crapped myself. Um, and great character. <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Did, now, is this uh, follow the weeds format and it's a 30 minute, are there 30 minute episodes or is this, are these hour long? This is an hour long. I think every episode is approximately 45 to 50 minutes. I think the, the, the season finale might be an hour or gotcha. like 57 minutes or something like that. It, it's and in tone, it's I don't know if I would say the same as weeds. There are definitely really funny things that happen. I would say it skews more towards the drama side, but it's a very good mix. And there are sudden tonal changes in the show, but handled very well. I wouldn't necessarily say Whedon esque, but in the same way that a Whedon show can go from laugh out loud funny to you're you know in the fetal position crying within thirty seconds. Uh, very similar, very similar in, in its ability to transition and transition well between extreme emotional states. Huh? Yeah. The weeds was, you know, the 30 minute showtime dramedy, I guess is what you'd call it. And I think the first three seasons of it were really, really well done and very intriguing. And I think after that, it, I hate to say fell off the rails cause I continue to watch it through the end just because. I'm one of those people that when I start a movie, I can't really just stop watching it and never watch it again. So it's like I, I kind of had to see how it, it ended. And I thought it ended actually fairly well. One of the better endings for, for shows, in, you know, in, in general. Um, but it got it tended to be a little overly preachy, in my opinion. Um, you know, especially I mean, you know, the concept, you know, the show is called Weeds and the and. It, it really got into the, yeah, I get it. You want to legalize marijuana. I understand, you know, I understand. It just like was at times kind of cramming that down your throat. And then just some of the other, um, uh, I think, I think it tried to be overly politically correct or overly, um, liberally conscious, I guess, which I don't have a problem with, but it just, it felt at times it was extremely preachy, um, which that, that tends to turn me off whichever whichever side of the aisle is is being preachy i tend to i tend to shy away from from things that try and um preach out one, one way or the other um so it, it's interesting that you say you know that that this kind of addresses those things without without being too preachy um that because that was one of the things i was afraid of when i, I heard that genji kohan was 
uh, was kind of the showrunner or you know writer producer or whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, one of the interesting things I, I saw in reviews I read of the show after I watched the whole thing, I then went back and read a whole bunch of reviews to see whether I was in the minority with liking it or not. And I certainly not reviews are stellar for this. But from reviews from people who have watched all of Weeds and either liked it or didn't like it, um, similar to what you're saying, Russ, in, in that Weeds getting too preachy and too uh, politically correct, a couple of the reviews I read made the point that this was almost like a person of that mindset, of the uh, of being overly politically correct and preachy without really understanding the ramifications of that, but just someone who, who theoretically talks a good... Um, I don't want to say liberal game in a political way, but just someone who's more of that mindset and who speaks a good game but doesn't really understand it, being thrown into a situation where suddenly their perceptions of the world and how it should be no longer apply at all because it's a completely different world. Basically, um, Piper uh, Chapman, who's the main character, is that type of person, and when she gets thrown into prison, she suddenly has to throw all of that out the window. Because no one cares what uh, she thinks in terms of political correctness or uh, the way the world should work or anything like that. They're in prison, and they are not happy about it. Most of them. Some of them are kind of fine with it. But it's it's definitely interesting, and a big cast, too. So you get a wide range of perspectives, and um, both politically, racially, uh, age-wise. It's just, they look at this, at the, at the prison system from a bunch of different angles and it pretty much always works start to finish. Huh? Well, I think you've pushed me more in the direction of watching it than, I mean, I, I, I planned on checking it out. Um, but I think you've, you've pushed me there. I, I, I think it's kind of yes. like, kind of reminds me of based on what you're saying about it, not being preachy or being, you know, that way is the wire. Um, and, and not to get too far down that track, but the wire was very, I feel socially conscious and, tried to tell things as it as it was um you know in Baltimore in 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 those areas and I never really felt like when watching the wire I was being preached to I, I felt like when I was watching the wire I was being dealt the realities of that of those lifestyles and those characters and what people go through and and how the system works um so so yeah I'm 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 definitely more intrigued yeah this is definitely how the system actually works and not how the system would theoretically supposedly work in a uh, specific point of view's uh, perfect world, <laughs> but I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that you, I've made you more interested in it because I really did enjoy it. And like I said, I was going to check it out, but I wasn't like super interested. And uh, by the by, like five minutes in, I was hooked. And I, like I said, I blew through it in two days. Nice. Hey, Jim. Yes. Uh, without going into spoilers. How about that last episode of the Venture Brothers? Wow, uh, so much in like the last few minutes. Just kind of blew me away. Um, I, I, I will say this, and it's kind of vaguely spoilery, but one of the main-ish characters may have died. Yeah, one of the main, main-ish and characters. <laughs> another major revelation was made. Uh, possibly it was kind of something you had to look for, but it may have been a big revelation that ties all the way back in to the first episode of the show. This season, it's a short season, season five, it's eight episodes. There's only one left to go, but they have done a ton of stuff. They've answered a bunch of questions. They've really pushed the plot along. They've introduced a few new characters, mostly that I think worked well. 
Um, and it's just been so much fun this season. It's been, it's been interesting too. I mean, some of the episodes have been more, uh, contained than others. Uh, some, this one is just all over the map. Um, we, we see the entire, uh, Council of 13 from the Guild of Calamitous Intent going out for a night on the town, you know? Um, right. It, it's just incredible. And then in the last, you know, three or four minutes of the episode, I mean, not only did a, you know, a major character probably die, not only did we find out, you know, the revelation, but we saw like another major character get elevated in, in their status. And then characters who we haven't seen this season at all, we saw at the very end all collected together, uh, you know, in, in their hatred of, uh, <laughs> Some of my favorite characters, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the Revenge Squad, you know, it, it returns. Um, just great, great stuff. I, and this up, this season's been really strong. It's probably been even stronger than last season. I can't really think of a really, um, like slow or filler episode so far. I mean, we spent a Copa the episode and, uh, that was probably the most filler episode, but it was also hilarious. Oh, it was great. I mean, just the, the, the way they worked out the whole, like, uh, festival around, the, you know, him being kidnapped as a kid. Um, just a genius concept. And they had a robot, L. Ron Hubbard, housing the ethereal spirit of L. Ron Hubbard at Jackie O's wedding in the 60s, trying to blow up the Saturn V, I believe, or the Saturn VI. With a Theta Ray. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Top that any other show, I dare you. Not to mention you had Sean Connery, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Gentleman, and the Action Man fighting alongside. Um, yeah, and a Ray Harryhausen-inspired um, dream sequence, if you will, that with had claymation and stop-motion animation and, I think, yarn at one point. I believe so, you know. And I, I gotta say, Augustin St. Cloud, new villain this season, he's great. Sticky's awesome. Um, I've watched the last episode though like three times in a row now. Um, just and there've been so many things going on in the background and with the continuity in that last episode. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. So yeah, I can't wait uh, as the season goes on. I think we only have like what five more episodes. It's a twelve episode season. No, there's one more episode. It's an eight episode season. <sighs> now, hopefully, the wait between episode between seasons will not be anywhere near as long because they were renewed for two at the, at the end of the fourth season. So theoretically they're already working on the next one if they haven't already gotten a lot of it completed. Um, but I mean, like, like we keep saying, I mean, these eight episodes or seven so far were so well done that, you know, if it takes a really long time for another season and it's this good, I'm kind of okay with that. I think it would be really, uh, it would be really in keeping in the spirit of the show if the next episode was just the funeral of the person who died. <laughs> because can you imagine the funeral? It would just be hilarious. Yeah. And they just started the last episode with a funeral for a, um, kind of like a Joker, uh, Riddler amalgam, um, who was a foe of Captain Sunshine's. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and and had Batman crying over the grave of Joker, basically. Right, yeah, Kevin Conroy uh, crying over the Joker analog's grave. It was it was great. It's just been a great season, and uh, like like you said, I hope to God we don't have to wait another you know was it two years, two and a half years before we get another. Not to mention the season gave us things like Enrico Matassa or the flying sidekick, the double Hank. I'm Hank in two languages. It makes me double Hank. My name means Hank Hank, and I'm also using a hank of yarn as a right. weapon. And Gary, and I mean, it gave us 
uh, you know, it kind of closed off one faction in, in Sphinx, but it also gave us Erg. Um, Deadshot? What so about, much what about stuff. Or is it Deadshot in the um, OSI by Bill Hader's character? Oh, sniper. Uh, I did, a, I did not realize that was Bill Hader. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I forget what his name is, but it also gave us Tank Top and Bum Rush and oh, other and G.I. Joe analogs. Ghost Robot. It brought we, back, Ghost um, Robot returned for this episode. Ghost Robot. I love Ghost Robot. <laughs> I, don't, I still haven't figured out. Is he a robot who died or is he just a, a guy <laughs> who died and became a... I don't know. Who cares? But he got fingers, so... And uh, the return of John Hodgman, I'm not sure if it's as the same character or not, but if it is, I pretty much think that that makes um, one of the Hardy Boys part of OSI now. I, I forget exactly who he played the first time. I can't remember if it was one of the Hardy Boys or whether it was the... Um, Roboy? The therapist. Oh, I thought it was. I thought he played Roboy. Oh, was that I who it was? So. Well, then I guess it's not the same character. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen that yeah, season. No. I need to go back and, and, and watch it again. That was a great episode. If you can't tell by the way we are just you know, slobbering all over the show, we love it. It is fantastic. It is the best show you are probably not watching. I gotta get and on I that. And I say that fully, with, with Breaking Bad fully in mind, if you're not watching either of them, I would more rather you watch Venture Brothers than Breaking Bad, and I love Breaking Bad. We got Brad I love hooked. Breaking Bad more than most people. We got Brad. But we got mean, we got Brad hooked, Russ. He's almost caught up now. He's only, yeah, he's only two episodes so, away. So Jordan, you said you like Breaking Bad more than most people. Does that mean you like Breaking Bad more so than other people like Breaking Bad, or you like Breaking Bad more than you like actual people? I like Breaking Bad more than I like most human beings. <laughs> and I say that without a hint of irony or sarcasm. Um, or really much self-awareness, to be frank. <laughs> I, it's and, funny. And I put Venture Brothers just ever so slightly above that. Nice. Yeah, I, I need to get on that Venture Brothers train at some point. It's funny, I've actually got my wife to start over. So I'm actually watching Breaking Bad from the beginning again. And we're, we've almost ripped through season two. Um, and she's she's digging it. I mean, not not as much as as me, but she's liking it quite a bit. To to keep. well, wait till she gets to season three. Yeah, that's what I told her. We're we're kind of at the point in season two where um, a new business model is introduced. Let's say, and uh-huh. uh, I said, yeah, pretty much from here on, it's just like craziness after craziness. She's like, it gets even crazier than it's been, and I'm like, oh yeah. You will so, look back at the first season and a half as the days when everything went pretty smoothly. That was the tip of the iceberg or, of crazy in that show. Yeah, the tip yeah, of the iceberg is what I think you mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the giant piece of ice that knocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Breaking Bad coming back for uh, its final eight episodes. Speaking of eight episode seasons, uh, although it's technically a half season, depending on how you look at it. Um, in August, and I, I believe Russ and I are going to do a Breaking Mad Part 2 episode uh, very soon over on Walking Dead TV. Which That's be correct. I, th- I think Jim will be joining us as well, if I'm not mistaken. I certainly hope I will so. definitely join you for half of that. And maybe we can even get Frank to join in for the Breaking Bad discussion. That'd be nice. That'd be very nice. Yeah, I, I, and like I said, since I have started watching it again, I have kind of a renewed perspective on the beginning of that show. So, uh, and especially as to what's come later, there's, there's some things I noticed in the beginning that 
I, I can't say that they necessarily had planned out that far ahead, um, but but kind of made that a little sweeter having gone through it again. So anyway, excited. Very cool. So there's a Steam sale going on. And an Xbox Live sale, and a good old game sale, and an iTunes store game sale, although I think that just ended, technically. There's a lot of really cheap, awesome games out there, is what we're trying to say. I mean, uh, Xbox Live has been giving games away. They gave away Fable 3 and the Tower Defense game, and now this uh, week they're giving away Assassin's Creed 2. Uh, as long as you have the space on your hard drive to download it, which I don't. I don't know. You don't even have to have that. You can buy it and cancel the download immediately. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very nice, because I actually have Assassin's Creed 2 on disc, but I quote-unquote bought the game anyway uh, for free, just so I would have it in case I ever lose the disc or want to sell it back. But I did get a lot of good deals on the Xbox Live uh, sale that they have there. I got uh, The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings, which is a game I started and never finished, I think it was like five bucks. I couldn't say no to that. They had. Uh, I also got Dark Souls for also for five dollars. Um, the I, Borderlands Two. I think I got for fifteen or twenty because I loaned the disc to a friend of mine and never got it back. Uh, yeah. So I went ahead and bought it again because it was so cheap. I, I just couldn't pass it up. I think it was fifteen if I remember correctly. Um, so it, it, there are a lot. Of, it's a uh, it's a fight to uh, you know keep what's in your wallet in there. <laughs> Especially when you look at Steam sales, you know, and this is only on sale oh, for the man. next eight hours, you know, it's this incredible game that you always wanted to play, and it's only 30 And it's $2.50? Yes, it's $2.50. Yeah. yeah. It's just, but there are, you know, yeah, you can get literally dozens of games ga- I mean, like that. Yeah, like Bastion, I don't know if you guys have played Bastion, but that's one that's all, anytime there's any kind of Steam sale, they always have Bastion on sale. Um, and I think right now it's like two ninety nine or two fifty, which is an awesome bargain. I love Bastion. That was a um, fun. It was worth it for the soundtrack alone. Yeah, the narrator yeah. really made that game for me. I, I oh, it's awesome. I thought that was such a fun game. Yeah, and then Mark of the Ninja, which is a lot of fun, is is dirt cheap, like I think five to seven dollars. Uh, right now uh, it'll be over by the time this airs, obviously. But um, like Saints Row the Third, the full edition is like seven bucks. Sleeping Dogs, I think, is six bucks. Um, uh, Day uh, uh, Deus Ex uh, is I think two ninety nine or something like that. So there's just really, I mean, and now obviously with the Steam sale, your PC needs to be uh, powerful enough to run. But usually a lot of these cheaper games have been around for a little bit. So if your PC is anywhere, you know close to being up to snuff or anything you bought in the last probably two to three years, uh, you'll probably be fine with some of that, especially like Bastion, Mark of the Ninja, uh, and a couple of the other games. The ba- the Arkham the Arkham games are usually on there uh, for a good price, either Arkham City or Arkham Asylum. Um, it just I love the uh, Steam Summer Sale, and then I guess what the Xbox, they call it, what is it, Summer of Arcade? Isn't that what they call it? Um, that's not the one that's currently going on, but that is a thing they do, yes. And, and to go back to Steam for a second, even if your computer can't run the game, if it's $2.50, you can buy it now, and when you upgrade your PC in a couple of years, that game will be waiting for you. Exactly, exactly. It's really funny, I think Xbox, uh, Microsoft uh, really wanted to adopt the kind of Steam model with the Xbox uh, One that they're coming out with, you know, the kind of always on, but in the cloud type thing, you know, when you buy the right to play the game. 
Um, it, it's interesting how that got shut down. Uh, yet so many people use Steam and it's so popular and so easy to use. And, uh, you know, like you said, the sales really make it. Um, the, I know Xbox Live again right now, they're having a big Capcom, uh, sale. They're selling, uh, uh, Lost Planet and the Resident Evil games all at reduced prices. And, uh, uh, since we're talking about things on Xbox uh, Live real quick, I really would like to recommend a game called State of Decay. It's, I think, $10. It's a, it's a big open world zombie survival game, but it's more about the survival than the actual going around chopping up zombies. You, you have to find, you know, a building in a suitable, you know, uh, area and you know, learn how to, you know, figure out what's defensible, you know, put up barricades, stockpile food, uh, you know, have allies who, who will help you. You have to decide who you want to help and who you, who you, uh, can't help, uh, you know, which allies you have on your side. The, the graphics are a little rough, but it is a downloadable game and it's only $10. Uh, it wasn't nearly as glitchy as Dead Island, and it, it really, like I said, it, it's more about the survival aspects of the game. I mean, there are, of course, a lot of zombies to be killed, but uh, there, it, the whole uh, added dimension to the game, I think, uh, really, really elevates it above most zombie games. So, State of Decay. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to play State of Decay yet, but uh, everything I've heard about it has been really positive. It's, a, it's an interesting take on the zombie uh, zombie game genre, and I, I enjoyed it. Anything else you guys want to chat about? Did you get anything from the Steam sale? Did you buy anything? Not yet. I, I, I have my eye on Sleeping Dogs and Saints Row the Third, just because the reviews have been so good on both, and I think my PC can handle it. Um, I, it's so very it's very coincidental because I just got Sleeping Dogs again after uh, loaning it to a friend of mine. I just got it back. And, uh, I popped it in just a couple nights ago and I've been playing it again. It's, it's really fun. I really enjoy it. It's like a Grand Theft Auto Hong Kong situation with the, you know, the kind of combat you, you, uh, would find in like a Batman Arkham game or an Assassin's Creed. It's more based on countering and timing your, your attacks rather than just button, you know, button mashing. It's a good right. game. I definitely recommend Sleeping Dogs. Are you guys going to see the Riddick movie? I don't know. Um, possibly. I liked Perfect, uh, Perfect Dark, uh, Pitch Black a lot. Um, and this looks much closer to that than Chronicles of Riddick, which I thought was boring nonsense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I saw, thought the same thing when I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, they're going back to Pitch Black. Which, based on the way that Chronicles ended, I'm not sure how that fits right, but. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I need to go back and watch Chronicles again, I think. I'm uh, king of the world, not anymore. Or yeah. not. <laughs> well, have, have we all, have we, uh, has the BS train come to a stop? Have we, have we made it into BS station? I think so. I think so. Uh, Under the Dome has been underwhelming, even though Brian K. Vaughn has been writing it. So, just wanted to put that out there. I still have not checked it out, but I have been meaning yes. to. Because I have Aven- uh, Avengers Prime. I have uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, I just yeah, don't. I, I expect more from Brian K. Vaughn, I guess. If yeah. if you would like to tell us what you thought of Pacific Rim or anything else that we talked about in the BS show tonight, give us a call five one six four six eight seven nine one two. That's our voicemail line, and you can leave us a message there. And I guarantee, if you do, we'll play it on the show. Uh, also, leave us iTunes reviews. We were in the great uh, website flood of '09. We lost all of our iTunes reviews, so please. Give us more. Give us as many stars as you can, because if you do our best for uh, you, 
you can do our best for us. Um, our email is reallybs at hhwlod.com. But yeah, ch- let us know how you feel about the new, uh, the new restructuring as it were as far as, you know, the, the really BS show and the, the comment in the long box of doom. Uh, we have so many great shows on the HHWLOD.com uh, network. Uh, the Godfathers of it all half hour wasted out now with Aaron and Abe, our weekly movie review show. Um, we have a lot, you know, we just have a lot of great stuff. Real heroes, uh, the walking dead TV podcast, uh, Tales from the Attic, The Black Box. So check it out, hhwlod.com, and uh, check out our whole family network of podcasts. Yeah, Jersey Shore even put out two episodes this wow. week. Because I felt generous. Well, and, wow. and a grateful nation sighs in relief. <laughs> uh, I wanted to shout out real quick. I was on the, um, uh, our friends from the uh, Forum for Geeks, two for, the Two True Freaks, uh, Paul Spitaro and Scott, uh, had me on the Back to the Bins uh, podcast uh, just the other night, uh, talking about some old comics. So I just wanted to shout them out and thank them for having me on. Good night, Gracie. Good night, everyone. Have a good one.